Hello world. Uh, this is Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover with the Minds Gym podcast. Uh, back again to discuss uh, some interesting, crazy stories with uh, my oldest brother, Tony. Um, we'll go through that here in a minute, but just want to thank you guys for your support and, and your feedback and uh, uh, you sharing and liking is uh, what keeps this uh, podcast rocking and rolling. Um, uh, mentioned before, I suffered from severe anxiety and depression for several years, and recently I found a way to uh, work my way out of that. And so decided to start this podcast to share uh, other stories and, and my story and experiences that uh, hopefully will benefit you. You know, I know when your mind's clear, your world shifts, and so do all the people around you. Um, so getting that energy filled positive instead of negative is kind of what creates your relationships with yourself and with other human beings. So um, it's neat when you can learn how to better communicate and better love and serve others and for sure serve yourself. Um, it creates a much more exciting and fruitful and uh, kind world. Um, so how do we get clear? Well, we're going to discuss this today again with a, a guest of mine, which is my oldest brother. Um, I want to thank Tony for showing up today and having courage to speak and be vulnerable and share some of his life stories, which I believe all you listeners are going to find uh, fascinating. Um, Tony's uh, 56, Seven. 57 now. Uh, he's been on one crazy journey. Um, he, uh, as I remember as a kid, was a workaholic, uh, was a fireman. Uh, he was a mechanic first, actually. Uh, had kids. at First kid at 19. Um <laughs> worked at a gas station as a mechanic and then um, and I'll let him tell more of the story about gas station as a mechanic and then uh, worked his butt off, had more kids um, uh, became a fireman and then also started a tile business and uh, was either at the fire department or setting tile or taking care of his family in whichever way he knew best. I know he also became uh, an alcoholic, um, was an alcoholic, currently not today, which he'll be discussing. Um, he got divorced. Uh, he uh, went through a couple rocky relationships, one that uh, you'll hear a little bit about. Uh, he retired, kind of went bankrupt couple few years later five years later uh he'll fill us in on all that uh lost everything down to he said it, all he had left was a couple of suitcases um he retired from the fire department moved to nicaragua had a crazy experience where he got tied up uh in the house they were renting uh with his girlfriend and uh the guys tied him up to chairs put a knife to his throat, um, stole all their belongings, and uh, I th 
think that might have been the event that kind of changed his life. And now he's living in Nicaragua with a new wife and has some new kids that he acquired. So um, he's going to share some amazing stories with us today and we'll hear about his journey and what uh, he's done to change his outlook on life and how he sees the world and uh, share some tools with us that he does daily to uh, um, be able to function as a, uh, I guess, a peaceful, more loving human being. So, Tone, thanks for coming. Tell us uh, just a little bit about you, where you grew up, uh, uh, city-state, which I haven't mentioned really where I'm from. I'm sure people figure out we're from Salt Lake City, Utah. But tell us uh, just a brief, quick story of of where you were born and and raised. Okay. Um, born in Salt Lake City. Uh, lived in the area for 45 years. Went to school, Mountain View Elementary, Union Junior High, Midvale Junior High, Brighton High School, Hillcrest High School where we graduated. Um, got married. Moved into Vidvale City with my wife. Had my first child September at 19. And by the time I was 27, we had four wonderful kids. Wow. <laughs> That's quick. Yeah. And then what What'd you do uh, uh, from 20 to 19 to 27? How did your life transpire? What were you doing at 19? So... <coughs> Got married, I was a service station attendant slash mechanic. And also, I was in the process of becoming a firefighter. And so I was working part-time for Sandy City Fire and taking some emergency medical classes and fire science classes to prepare myself to be a full-time firefighter. And through probably no less than 30 firefighter tests, I finally got hired with Ogden City in 1987. I was 25 years old. So we moved there for a couple years. And during that time, Salt Lake City was testing and I took their test and was lucky enough to score high enough to be hired there in 1990. So I left Ogden, moved to Salt Lake, started working there in 1990. And along with that, because firefighter entry wages are low, I started a small contracting business setting tile. Cool. And uh, what, what, why did you decide to become a fireman? Um, just, that's an interesting story. And I'll share it with you. I'd love to hear it. We had a, back when I was a younger man, uh, I went to a church. 
And when I was 15, 14 or 15, one of the teachers that I had asked, there was a group of 12 or 14 of us in this class to write down where we would be in 10 years. And I remember writing down I would be a firefighter paramedic. I'm not sure why I wrote that, but I did. <laughs> and the frustrating part is, is that particular teacher lost that letter. Really? He promised to give it back to us. And uh, I saw him at your graduation at Hillcrest High. Really? And I asked him if he still had it, and he said no, he had thrown him away. What was the teacher's name? Do you remember? Uh, big guy. Was it at Hillcrest? No. Or was it at church? At church. The big guy. He oh, Clark. Yeah. Greg Clark. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Serious? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. cool. I know. So I wish I would have had that. To yeah. So why? I don't know. But that's. I just knew at that age that's what I wanted to do. That's amazing. Isn't it funny, too? You put it down on paper. Yeah, and it came true. Get your thoughts out of your <laughs> mind, put it down on paper, and amazing what will show up for you. Yeah. But I still wish he, I would have had that. Yeah. I don't know. It would be verification. It would just be a yeah. treasure. It's really cool. <laughs> cool. So then uh, uh, maybe tell us a couple experiences in the firefighting world and what you experienced and saw that the listeners would... Uh, like to hear. Give us a story, one or two that there's are there's many stories. The, the, <coughs> the whatever shows up yeah. for you. The interesting part of working for Salt Lake City um, didn't work for Ogden long enough to really appreciate what it had to offer. But working in Salt Lake, being the capital city, you have a mixture of um, people who live there. And then you have the business people that come in during the eight to five hours. And then you also get the convention traffic, so lots of tourism. So we had various call types, I guess you would say. But one of the stories that, that I've come to appreciate now that I've retired is Salt Lake has... Um, a very um, growing homeless population. And so most of the stations that I worked at happened to be in the area of, of that response district where most of the homeless people are. And as much as I tried not to let that type of living get to me, it does after you respond to the same group or the same individuals time after time after time after time. So by the time I had retired, at 20 years, I was pretty soured on the homeless community and pretty disappointed that I got to that point. Um... Today I appreciate it differently, and I guess my heart's open to them. I had to shut it down during that time to survive. Yeah. 
any crazy experiences with the homeless that you want to share? Um, no, not any really particular ones other than I can say this, not how do I want to put this, is the homeless community is a unique community and it does support the people that tend to f go into that area. And I did learn that there's no reason in Salt Lake City for anybody to go hungry or without a shelter. Hmm. It's a pretty giving community and uh, you won't starve and you won't go without roof over your head. Yeah. Unless you abuse the system. If you abuse it, then it's not offered to you. But yeah. if you follow the rules... Yeah, there is a lot of resources in Salt Lake. I I actually talk with the homeless <laughs> quite a bit because I'm downtown working, and uh, I'm amazed that uh, they got their schedule down. They know where they can go for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to get a free meal, and that's kind of how their schedules work. And then outside of that, they just kind of seems to they do what they do. Yeah. You know, they're in their own little world, and they've they've sure figured out a system on how to survive. Yeah, and they use the fire service kind of as their mobile clinic, which, you know, it's just part of the system. Sure. You know, it's something they're trying to work with, even still today. Yeah. You know, but it grows so quickly, and resources are only yeah. so abundant. I think you told me, I remember years <laughs> back, which I had no idea, but a lot of the homeless drink Listerine mouthwash because it's cheaper than purchasing yeah hard liquor and plus they can buy it 24 7 <laughs> at the stores that are open <laughs> and they don't drink the green <laughs> only the yellow listerine right yeah, that's what they said because the green probably makes them sick because it's got that's sugar in said, it yeah crazy yeah, it's nuts but huh. we do what we have to do sure <laughs> it's all about survival <laughs> Um, any other experiences, like accidents you went on, deaths? Oh. Like any of them stick out that, that are? There's uh, so, so many. Just I just I can't pull one up right now. No? No. Can't yeah. think of any. I can't really. Too many out there? Yeah, I can't. And some of it I don't really want to bring up anymore, too. That's part of it. Just. Yeah been tucked away in the database and sure. keys locked yeah you know because part of that um gets tucked away because it's can be depressing and sure sad and and part of the reason that you numb yourself is to keep those feelings tucked deep down inside too yeah sure do you think part of that job uh tony led it led or landed into your uh, uh, addiction with alcohol? Was it that? Was it you know all the pressures? Uh, or where do you think all that started <laughs> from? That's such an interesting question. Um, let's go back 10 years. Okay. And I would answer that question like this. <laughs> Is the fire service gave me 100 reasons to drink. And I could probably at that time give you two reasons. And probably you would agree. Probably go, oh, yeah, I don't blame you. That would be tough. Most people don't deal with 
tragedy and death and destruction. Sure. <clears throat> the normal person. But today, I've learned that those were no longer excuses. They or they were excuses to drink, mm-hmm. not the reason to drink, but excuses to drink. Right. You know, um, stresses with work, family. You know everything we deal with in life. Um, causes us to do what we do sure how how were your drinking binges what did your a day of drinking look like when you were hitting it hard well let's see prior to moving to Nicaragua I really didn't have a ton of time to drink Mm -hmm. so that was the, the biggest issue is I would work let's just an example um Monday till Tuesday morning fire station, Tuesday to Tuesday night contracting. Go home Tuesday night, try to do the most with the family, Wednesday morning fire station, Thursday get off, go tile, come home Thursday night, go back to work, fire station Friday, get off Saturday morning. Now if I didn't have to make up for tiling on Saturday I found an excuse to go somewhere where you could drink mm-hmm. restaurant, bar, friends and because I knew I only had a limited time I overdid it yeah. so I drank as much as I could as fast as I could because I didn't know when the next time mm-hmm. I was going to be able to do that and outside of Drinking, I kept myself numb through working. So it's just what I did. So you're dealing with two addictions. Addictions don't also necessarily have to be alcohol or drugs. No. Work can be an addiction just to numb the mind. If you're going 100 miles an hour, you don't have to look at yourself, right? Exactly. So then you got a day off Saturday. You got a day to yourself. Well, hell, you don't want to look at yourself and deal with your mind, so you might as well start drinking, right? Exactly. You yeah. don't have to deal with all the other issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I used to tease all the time. I'd rather be a workaholic than an alcoholic. But yeah. those two things changed. Yeah, drastically. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So would you say, Tone, you were more of a weekend <laughs> alcoholic? It wasn't a, was it ever a daily Never. practice? No. Just until I moved to Nicaragua. Yeah. So it was just uh, here in town when you were working, raising family and kids. It was a weekend thing or a free day thing, yeah. and you'd go and hit it hard. Yeah, maybe and like w- once a month. You were yeah, tough. I'd have to get up the next morning to work. Yeah, and then you were difficult to be around because your drinking led to some negativity. In no, my experience, I was right? negative, <laughs> <laughs> and the drinking let it come out. <laughs> <laughs> the drinking allowed you to share your true <laughs> inner feelings inner feelings with the world exactly and a lot of people didn't appreciate them yeah exactly right yeah cool yeah it uh alcohol wasn't wasn't the reason i was negative i was negative and the alcohol just 
made it pronounce yeah. it. So it's like putting a little fuel on the fire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then what did your drinking turn into when you moved to Nicaragua? And you had a lot of free time to yourself. So now uh, you retired, you live in Nicaragua, got some free time. Well, it what's what's interesting about that, Brandon, is when I when I moved before I moved down there, uh, the gal that I was moving down there with me, my fiance at the time, I had told her in fact I was on Third South and State Street. We were going to a movie right there on the corner. And I said to her, the only thing that I'm concerned about moving to Nicaragua was becoming an alcoholic. Really? Yeah. And her her comment was, oh, you won't. Mm. Well, part of that was she thought she could control it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, once I got there, it's just a lifestyle. You know, I mean, it's pretty much just what people are doing Mm -hmm. especially the it's a tourist community so most of the people that you're seeing are there for a week they're there to vent and relax and have fun and so party hardy and two alcohol they're super cheap and they got one of the best rums in the world (laughs) so it started off just you know your nightly couple beers glass of rum to a couple beers after surfing and a bottle of rum and then about let's see I've been down there 10 years in August sober for four so about the fourth year fourth or fifth year down there um, I didn't realize that um, my new girlfriend, my current wife, Anna, it started to rub on her the wrong way, and I wasn't, I wasn't keen to how it was affecting her because I was still in denial, I guess. I didn't want to realize that it was as big of a deal as it was. And so about our, yeah, fourth year together, she said to me one day, she says, um, Tony, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And we'd had discussions before about, you know, we drinking too much, staying out too late. And I knew at the time that if I quit drinking because of somebody else, that it wouldn't work. You know, there's no way. If I was going to do it for myself, maybe, but to do something for someone else because it bothered them, that just wasn't going to work for me. So on that thought, I started thinking about that a lot. I'm thinking, she's not telling me to quit. She's basically telling me I'm not sure how much longer I'm sticking around. And so I had to start really thinking, well, do I need to change my behavior to keep her around, or do I really want to keep her around? That's, you know, really where it got to. And so um, I never even really intended to quit drinking, period, but after uh, 
I set a date. I was coming back from Nicaragua to Utah. And I told myself I was going to see how long I could go without drinking any alcohol whatsoever. And that was on May 27th, 2015. Hmm. And day after day after day, it got easier and easier and easier. And it was really no struggle whatsoever. It was just like a mindset. Hmm. You know, I'm going to do this and see how long. But I'm going to back up a little bit on that. Is my ex-wife's mother... Um, as you know, she basically killed herself through alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then our grandfather on her mom's side, he was an alcoholic. and That's not what killed him, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't help. Sure. And I always, when I started drinking, as a, you know, basically as an old teenager, I always wondered when you cross that line from social drinking, as they call it, to alcoholism. You know, where's that? Where's that point? And so the reason that I decided I was going to quit to see if I'd cross that line, to see if I'd, you know, was physically addicted, mentally addicted, and I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I figured my initial thought was if I've crossed the line, I'll know, and I'll go through the withdrawals that they claim you get. And if I haven't crossed the line, then I can go back to drinking. <laughs> sure. You know, I proved a point. I, didn't, I haven't crossed the line yet. Mm. But 90 days of sobriety, I started feeling physically <laughs> and mentally better. Mm. And so... Basically, from that point forward, as it's not something that I want to go back to. You're not interested. No. Hmm. So how? Uh, uh, I've heard you say in the past on our conversations that um, how you came to that decision, but also you came to that decision, but you also mentioned that that this might be hard for some people to hear that maybe have an addiction but that the alcohol quit you explain that uh, I guess Brandon I could answer that by it just was time hmm. you know I don't I just you know let's well, I was drinking uh you know, when you're, when you're out having fun and partying and doing your thing, you don't realize the consumption, I don't think. And so towards the end, I'll say the last year of my drinking, there was at least on a daily basis no less than 10 cans of beer. That was probably a daily average. And at least three nights a week, at least probably a fifth of rum, along with the 10 beers. Yeah. And that seems like a lot, 
but it really wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I began the the reason we drink is to numb ourselves or feel good, you know, party hardy. But my body started craving the sugars. Hmm. And so it wasn't even fun anymore. It was just like, you know, the fastest I could get it in, the fast, the better off I was. Sure. And then you quit having hangover. I never really had hangovers, you know. Hmm. I mean, I definitely didn't have the energy I have today, but, you know, I never woke up and felt cruddy. And yeah. And I never drank 24-7. Yeah. You know, it was always mid-afternoon till 3 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Huh. You were a, you were a seasoned veteran. You'd trained your liver. Yeah. I can't drink without getting a hangover, so I don't know how you did it as well oh, as you did it yeah. without getting a hangover. Oh, it was, it was just something that I had to do. Kind of crazy how all of our bodies uh, react differently to different substances. Yeah. Let's backtrack a little. Tell us about, um, let's talk about, I want to talk about your bankruptcy and your two suitcases, but kind of. What led you to that point before you moved to Nicaragua? And then I'll follow that up with okay. that event in Nicaragua that kind of helped you shift. Okay, so getting ready to retire. Um, my retirement date at the fire station is February 1st, 2007. That gave me 20 years in the fire service. And at that point, uh, my tile business was going very well. So I thought. <laughs> had 10 employees so my game plan was to retire from the fire department and then only work one job and just run my tile business and grow and manage not so much work but more manage it and so I started the process of building credit getting credit lines doing what you do to build a small business in that process I had uh, made a mistake and took my credit allowance much higher than uh, I should have I guess we'll put it that way <laughs> and so come 2008 September when uh, our uh, economy took a hit, I got caught in that hit. Mm. And basically, I had so much. Well, th this is the part that was interesting is I was living off credit. So monthly, I was paying those credit cards off every month. You know, charge, pay, charge, pay. But then when... The economy collapsed in September, October of 2008. I couldn't pay that next installment because hmm. business shut off. Yeah. And so at that point, I made a decision to seek out bankruptcy possibility, went and talked to a bankruptcy attorney. And I had two options. It was one, find a job that would allow me to pay that creditors back. And that jobs were hard to get at that point. Or um, claim bankruptcy and 
moved to Nicaragua, and that's the choice I made. Hmm. Interesting that, uh, as you probably look back on that, it was a, one of the most stressful situations you dealt with, but life had a better plan for you than you had. Oh, I, obviously. Right? Yeah. You, you know. It was, that was the... That was the time when I realized how big the ego was because to claim bankruptcy was the most embarrassing thing that I could have ever shown my family or my friends. Sure. I can hear that. It was horrible. Yeah. But also something, some universal energy had was playing a huge role in that to get you to a better place, but it's hard to see when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. And filing bankruptcy, which people have stories about people that file bankruptcy. But was that the best thing for you? Well, I guess it was. (laughs) Because here we are. Here we are today. It's the best thing. And you're a completely changed human being. More understanding, kinder, no longer drinking. Yeah, realize that money's not happiness. Money doesn't do it. Yeah. And you had to lose it all to figure that out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I lost it all. Yeah. Down to two suitcases, you said. Yeah. Family. Yeah. Lost a lot of family. Friends. Friends in the meantime. Yeah. That you're slowly or quickly. It's all mending all your relationships, right? Exactly. It's awesome. (laughs) Um, Explain to us, so when you get to Nicaragua, Tone, and you're... You're with a gal that you're dating, and I know myself and your f- kids and friends were concerned about this particular female you were dating. We might have maybe thought it wasn't your best match. <laughs> and then I think you eventually got a little frustrated with her and could kind of took your blinders off and, and yeah, saw well who you were living with yeah. and dealing with. And then... so. So I, so we'll back up. So I make the decision to claim bankruptcy. I'd been to Nicaragua the year before and loved it. Um, ocean, jungle, warm weather, and very inexpensive to live. And so the gal that I was engaged to at the time, I had told her that... Um, It was a dream that I wanted to follow, and if she wanted to come with me, she's more than willing to, and if she didn't want to, that was okay. But I was going one way or another. And she decided that um, she would go along. And we sell everything that we could and pack up and move down there August 1st of 2009. First week there, my son Timothy was there helping us move in and stuff, and that was that was good. He leaves, and I could tell that she just wasn't loving it like I was, and uh, we were trying to make friends. We didn't have a car at the time, so it made transportation difficult. And as time went on, um, tension started to grow. 
and um, she started to get bored because there wasn't enough to do. And I was loving it. We were two-minute walk to a surf beach, ocean right there in front of us. Um, as far as I was concerned, it was awesome. <laughs> and so time goes on. We're into, a, into this journey, I call it, about three or four weeks. And we go into town. I might not even told you the story ever. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. One quick thought, too, while you're on going yeah. into town. You and her are ex in the same house, experiencing the same beach on the same journey, but yet two different movies going on. Yeah, two different stories. You're watching a PG love story, G-rated love story, <laughs> and she's maybe watching a PG-13 or rated R movie <laughs> that wasn't matching up to her perception of what she saw as fun, yeah. exciting, and yes. happy. So it's just interesting how two people in the same exact location see two different worlds. Yeah. You're in she heaven and she's wondering what the hell she's doing there. Yeah. So perspective. Yeah. So tell us about going into town. So third or fourth week we're there there's gonna be a sand a sand castle building contest on the beach. We're going with some friends that we'd met down there, Steve and Yasmin. We go into town, we go into town, and we find out we're a day early. <laughs> They're going to build the sandcastles the next day. But anyway, they had this little casino there that uh, a gal I was with loved to go in and play Cordova slots. <laughs> and while she was in there with Yasmin, I would come in and out and... She was getting a Coke and rum, but wasn't drinking it. And so I'd come in, it was sitting there, and I'd just, so I'd go, well, aren't you drinking your drink? I'll drink it, so I'd have it, and then I'd leave, and I'd come back a couple hours later and do the same. Well, about four in the afternoon, I needed to head back to the house to feed the dogs. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing I remember. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and... I find out the next morning after about, I think I woke up at 10 o'clock the next morning and she's frustrated at best. You were possibly overserved at the casino? <laughs> no, what we assumed is um, roofies oh. are prevalent. Oh. And my guess is that somebody was trying to roofie her. <laughs> And I got it. You got <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's so the universe at work uh, right there, oh bro. Buddy. So anyway, she's <laughs> frustrated. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And things from that point forward really started going bad. Huh. Um, she was not loving it. She used me to blame everything on. You know, that it wasn't, she was bored, nothing for her to do. It was, we didn't have a car. And so I started feeling one super, super guilty for inviting her to come with me on my journey. 
man, I felt super responsible because she pretty much left with nothing also. Mm. And I was the main support. So I was really struggling with what to do. And uh, being the type of person I was and still am today as I wasn't sure how I was going to deal with telling her this isn't working mm -hmm. without, you know, stopping my dream. Mm -hmm. And so hindsight's twenty twenty. looking back is everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that roofie was for you. Everything happens for a reason. So the seventh week... Um, we were invited over to Stephen Yasmin's house to for dinner and we lock the house up we leave and for some reason that night I took a flashlight with me it's the first night ever I took a flashlight with me and we leave we go over and have dinner and we come back, it's 9.30 at night, and the house we lived in had 72 steps up to the top. And as we get to the bottom of the steps, the dogs are barking, and a different bark than normal. And so I pull out the flashlight and start walking up the stairs going, hey, is anybody around? <laughs> and it was just different. And we get up to the back door and in Nicaragua, most houses have uh, iron bars on them. So as I get the key to unlock the gate, as soon as I open it, two guys from each two guys on each side of the house come out with masks and machetes, and I'm like, "Oh shit! <laughs> uh oh, uh oh." And the first thing they say, I had no Spanish at the time, but I understood exactly what they said. They said, put the dogs in the bathroom. Wow. And uh, so they tied my hands at that point with just some string, really. And then, at, and then had Kim go in and put the dogs in the bathroom before they would go in because Nicaraguans in general are afraid of dogs. You know, they're not really pets there. They're more, you know, guard dogs. Mm -hmm. So when she returns, um, dogs are in the bathroom. They take us into the kitchen, and they tie me up to the chair, hands and feet, and they just tie Kim's hands. Mm -hmm. And then each one guy was over Kim, one over me. They put the machetes at our throat while the other two just went through and took everything they could carry out of the house everything um all the way down to alcohol soda pop food mm. but mostly the only thing that really of value that i missed was movie camera and computer you know everything else was they take jewelry and watches and a little bit of jewelry but like not that. much we didn't really have did you have your wallets on you or purses yeah did well you take kim's purse no, they, they, were, they just didn't. And when they first came out, I opened my wallet and gave them, I had like four bucks. Oh, really? <laughs> and I gave them that. But wow. That's all, that's all I had. So 
anyway, that took about 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, and it was very, uh, very calm. Hmm. You know, for some reason, I wasn't scared. Um, you weren't fearful of your no, life? No, uh-uh. Not, not then. I just you know, kind of sat there and let them take what they take. And, you know, so they get finished. And they leave, but then they come back. Hmm. And when they come back, they point to Kim. They're going to untie her and take her into the bedroom. Wow. That's where the fear kicked in. So I'm going to rewind for one second. So they left and came back. Were you still at the kitchen table? I was still tied the chairs? up. Yeah, I was okay. we still tied up. They only just went out the door and then oh. came right back in. Okay. And that's when the point I went I brought someone on my journey and if something happens to her my life's over yeah basically mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I would have dealt with it so anyway it was more of a threat mm -hmm. so they didn't do anything they just you know made a threat and they left and said if we call the police we're going to come back and cut our throats you know mm -hmm. blah 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 right so they leave I uh we had poor cell phone service, so I had a hard time getting a hold of my friend Steve. And then the funny part is he had to go to the disco in town to pick up the police to bring him out. Oh, really? <coughs> yeah. So you did contact the police? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Contact, they came out, did what they could do, and of course, you know, nothing recovered. They don't know who it was. Leave it at that. Yeah. Well, this is at the point in my life where um, I probably had friends and family think I was nuts for going to Nicaragua and then this happens so just reinforce their fears but at the time I consciously made a decision I was not going to let that event ruin my dream yeah. there's no way now Kim didn't feel the same way about it. It really, really shook her up, which understandably so. And so, luck have it, Steve and Yasmin are heading back to California for a month the day after this happens. And so they invited us to watch their house, which was way more secure than where we were. And so we went there. And... Um, she just couldn't deal with it at all. Hmm. It was just too big of a traumatic event. And so she wanted to go back to the States, and I didn't want to go. So long story short, I convinced her that it would be best if she went back to deal with, deal with this with her family and friends. And I was going to stay. <coughs> she knew if she left without me, she wasn't going to see me again. I know she knew that. So she was really, really stubborn about going by herself. But at the same time, she was not dealing well there. And so we made the arrangements to get her back home. And I stayed. And my life went from okay to good <laughs> yeah. 
then from that point forward, I just um, re-evaluated my own life. Took years, you know, and I'm sure alcohol was a numbing source of that event for a moment. But uh, it made me realize today, you know, I couldn't say this back at the moment, that there's nothing in this world that's bad. It's just events that push us forward or push us backwards. And I made the choice, for whatever reason, not to victimize myself with an event like that. I chose to let it make me stronger and move me forward. And also, too, you know, like from an outsider looking in, it, you know, you were struggling with Kim and, and your relationship and whether or not you wanted to be there with her. Well, the, the universe sure had a plan on how to take care of that. The universe decided to scale the scare the hell out of her so she would hop on an airplane and, and move back <laughs> move back home yeah i mean so she would have she probably wouldn't have left well who knows we don't know we know that that event happened and yeah. she left yeah. and it was perfect perfect yeah. timing yeah. wonderful event nobody was harmed you lost a few valuables but as you and i know valuables mean nothing yeah if you don't have replaceable yeah. what your life you know, have peace and sanity in your mind and uh, or in your life. Uh, you, you know, what do you got? Yeah. So yeah, that's a pretty crazy, crazy story. Um, let's chat a bit about uh, uh, maybe how your uh, your divorce af- affected the kids and you. Want to talk about that a teeny bit? Well, when I got divorced, I'd been married, I think, twenty three years. I recall exactly. And my youngest at the time was 16. And the oldest was 23, I believe. And September was in Paris at the time, I remember that. Um, Our divorce really started probably two or three years before we actually got divorced. Um, Amory had finished school. She became an RN. She was working. I was getting ready to retire. And basically we just started living different lives. That's really, it. Uh, we just grew apart. And my outlook on life was one direction, and her outlook was a, a different. She was just starting her career, and I was ending mine. And um, to be perfectly honest, we realized that we were growing apart, but we didn't want to admit it at the very beginning. And then as the years went on, it became... Uh, more and more obvious that things weren't working out. Started doing things alone. Uh, We just didn't participate together like we did before. And so 
when we made the decision that it was done, my kids um, took it pretty hard from what I saw because Amory and I never showed them that we weren't getting along. So from their perspective, from what I understand, is they thought we were getting along great. Hmm. And it's just because we never, we presented a good story. Hmm. A facade. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not, and I don't think, we didn't do it purposely. It's just how, it's just how we were even married. We just never, we never showed people or our kids our discomfort or our, we just kept it behind closed doors. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. just figured that when things weren't going the way we should, that's nobody's business but ours. Yeah. So my kids, my kids never really saw any dysfunction. Yeah. And so when we told them that uh, we were getting divorced, it was a shocker to them. Hmm. You know. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, Brandon, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, my youngest recently had a little bit of a turmoil in a relationship and some old memories got brought up. And the discussion with my kids that I've had talks with over the last couple of weeks, they're learning or it seems that they see that Amory's a better person for our divorce and so am I. You know, I'm not sure they they could have said that in the beginning, mm-hmm. but now they realize that I'm where I'm at and I'm happy and I wouldn't have been there if I stayed married. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't have, just, just, just how things go. And Amory wouldn't, she's married a great guy and she's super successful in the career that she's pursuing and she probably wouldn't have been doing that. Mm-hmm. So another thing in my life that seems bad ended up being good. Yeah, the divorce worked out for the both of you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. In a good way. Sure. And then when it comes to my children, you know, who knows what they'll get out of it? Sure. You know, my goal is, is that they will see that when something's not working out in their lives, they need to move. Yeah. Shift. Yeah. Do something different. Tell me a little bit about each of your kids just briefly. I know you got four kids, September, Sammy, Tony, and Timothy, or we nickname, we call them Scooter. Scooter. <laughs> Tell me just a teeny bit about all four of your kids for those of those out there that that don't know you okay. or your family. My first child, September, she's uh, 36, mother of two, married. Um, and at the current, she's working with nonprofit organizations, lives in Wisconsin. My second is Samantha. She has one child, one on the way. She's working at Deer Valley, married to a wonderful guy. My third, uh, Tony Jr. He has two boys, married to a wonderful wife, Lauren. 
He's a contractor. Timothy, my youngest, he's a financial consultant. He has his own business, and he's not married. He's single at the time. Uh, what about religion, Tone? What's your uh, thoughts on religion? How it's affected your life? And <laughs> what what's my thought on religion? Currently, <laughs> we, where here are we go. Religion, here yeah. we go. Don't get too crazy here. <laughs> Try to keep it rated G, will you? I, I believe that whatever makes people happy works. Um, I don't personally believe in a religion. I believe that the universe is a big ball of energy that's out there to offer us all the help we need and guidance if we just let it. But for those out there that have a deep interest in religion if you're super happy go with it cool good thought um what about uh let's say god do you believe in god or what does your god look like it or source just like me <laughs> <laughs> the guy you look at in the mirror yeah every morning yeah that's now, nice. I don't want to sound too, what's the word I'm looking for, pretentious, yeah. but I believe that we are our, our own gods, our own guiding light. It's just we don't, we're not taught to trust ourselves. And I believe that through prayer, meditation, silence, we're really talking to ourselves. That's what I believe. Yeah, I uh, did a podcast this morning with a lady and asked her a similar question, and her answer was interesting. And also, I had you know similar thought that when, once you go on this journey long enough and you struggle uh, long enough and suffer long enough on this planet, you you realize that you're kind of the creator of your entire world. Well, so aren't you? Yeah, 100%. But what some I mean? people don't get that. Well, yeah, I think you know? that... Some people have got on a pedestal, and when you do that, you're less than, and I think when you break it all down, you know, we, we got all the same DNA and all the gifts and all the abilities and all the wisdom that he had. So, and we're doing it all. Yeah. Can blame, you can blame others if you want. <laughs> Blame the world for your faults and your pain and your suffering. Yeah, isn't, I don't know. I, I can tell you this only for myself, is once I took on responsibility for my own actions and started caring for myself in a loving way, everything has gone perfectly perfectly yeah and every day is i prove that to myself yeah i do wonder if there is though tone a higher source out there that's 
almost running things. Like there's this universal energy or drive or something that some days I just look around and I'm like, what, what's going on here? Like, I don't know if I'm doing all this or if I'm being done or, you know, what's this source out there that's put all this together? You wonder if there's some an energy out there besides ourselves that's uh there's something yeah seems to be you just got to connect to it yeah yeah and also it's just another thought yeah uh what about um uh let's say hell does hell exist nope does satan exist i don't believe so i think our ego is the devil yeah you know i think that uh my own personal opinion is the devil has been manufactured by religions to keep us scared. And when we're scared, we follow. And that's basically how I see organized religion is, is it's a way to get people to follow a particular theory. And you have to have the black and the white, yep. you know. But I don't know. It's that's a that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could say you know some religions. If you break it all down and you really look at it, it, it can appear like a scare tactic to f- you know scare you into living righteously. But when you break it all down, you don't need to be scared to live life honestly truthfully to be kind to be loving uh, you don't need to be scared into that you can figure that out on your own without you know going in a big old concrete box and sitting in the chair and having human beings tell you you know what their belief is because of how they're structured and what they've been told their whole lives and also um, I think a lot of religions um, which I can appreciate like I have a hard time looking at anything negatively anymore but they're also maybe the push that you need to ask questions like hey this isn't this might not be jiving with me 100% maybe this religion's going to push me to ask some questions and maybe I ask a lot of questions and I really find out who I am and maybe I need that religion religion is the push that I needed to find me and yeah. we did it I mean we yeah. both were raised LDS LDS we went to church for 15 or 20 years and it didn't work for us we moved on but it was part of our journey and it was probably necessary for you and I to be able to shift into this different planet that we now exist in possibly you know so who knows is church bad no I'm not nothing's no, bad yeah. That's what I say. Nothing's bad when you get on the other side, right? Yeah. Nothing's bad. It's just yeah, it's whatever gets you to part of it. Yeah. To find yourself. Yeah. What's your thoughts on mom and dad and how they influenced your life? Uh, it's an interesting question. That's that's been a heated topic in my <laughs> kids group. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I try to come up with some uh, fun <laughs> questions. Yeah. I thought you'd enjoy that one. Well, I'll tell you, I 
I've had to think about that, Bran. So loving mom and dad to death, they're uh, extremely great people, but I've been reminded that we might not have grown up in the most organized structure. And I, I, a thought came to me the other day when I was having this discussion with my, with Tony Jr. And I do recall saying at one time, my parents taught me what not to do. So I always, I think in the beginning of my uh, parenthood, is I took the tactic of I was going to parent differently than our parents did for us. And it worked out. I mean, my, all my kids turned out to be pretty good kids. No real problems. Knock on wood. Um, but really looking at it, I think that mom and dad, they did the best they knew how at the time. And were they perfect parents? No. Was I a perfect parent? No. It's just... You do the best you can with what you know how to do at the time. Sure. But, you know, I learned a lot. <laughs> so I if you can expound on that, because I'm not sure what you mean when you say not structured or not organized. I don't well, what uh, do you mean you know by what, that? It, we ought to have this discussion, Brad, because <laughs> because our age difference, we probably saw things much differently. I'd agree. That's why I'm asking you yeah. what, what's not structured and not organized because I've never had that thought. Oh, I I could do whatever I wanted. Oh. I was free will. Yeah. There was no there was no structure as time to eat, time to be in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I. I probably should have gotten a lot more trouble than I did. I didn't really get in much trouble, but maybe that's why you didn't, you know. But yeah, I it was free willy. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> here's my story on that, <coughs> which is different than your story because we both had a similar movie growing up that mom and dad weren't structured or organized, but I would almost say they allowed us to be. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. Yeah. Depen depend on how you looking at it. They allowed yeah. us to be free. And I'd rather be free than bound as you were at the kitchen table in Nicaragua. Yeah. So w what? What? what's the perfect upbringing? You tell me. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's the question. Is I would say that we were raised perfectly. Because otherwise we're arguing with what is, we're arguing with reality, and the way you were raised is the way you're supposed to be raised for your benefit to find out who you are, and you got to be free to find yourself. Yeah. But I agree with you. But what's interesting is if you listen to somebody that's viewing it from afar. Which I say that because nobody knows how it was unless they were in your shoes. Right. That's just what it is. 
if you're not right there at the right moment with the same person at the same time, it's only a perspective. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll say this. So my kids have a very different perspective on how we were raised than we do. And I can understand their reason is they <coughs> they have taken all of our faults, mine, Barry's, Curran's, Brandon's. Now, Chase, they don't so much because Chase is so far behind us. He's our same age, basically, and for they the listeners. blame my parents for our faults. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because how can you blame anybody for anything? Yeah, exactly. You can't, and unless you're confused. <coughs> and I think as they grow, and their parents themselves, and as their kids grow, mm-hmm. they'll see a different perspective. Sure. But it's interesting to hear it because. You know, they weren't around. They weren't even born. Yeah. They just, just from what they've heard, yeah. seen, and they observed. <coughs> so they're watching a movie and judging a movie they've never seen. Basic, basically. That's interesting. I and know. then I would say if we looked at your wife's, your ex-wife's structure and growing up, was she in a structured, organized household? I don't even know, but was she? No, not. They were raised Catholic, I remember. Not not too. I mean, structured, but not, not, uh, not a bad structure. I'd say they had a lot of free. Yeah, they had a lot. They had a lot of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So it's interesting they put that story on you. Oh, they put it on their t- her too, oh, not just well, us. Yeah, yeah. That you both had too much. No, just that freedom and not enough structure in your lives. Well, I, they don't even put it in words like that. Oh. Just something went wrong because of look. Oh. You know. Yeah. You know why? Why did you do this and that? And yeah. Why'd Curran turn out to be? You know, blah. Yeah. You know, yeah. just from their point of view. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's a. Uh, interesting point of view yeah <laughs> and there's truth to everything too i think there's a little bit of truth to everything and a, and a lot and a no truth to everything there's always a happy balance there so i i can hear them definitely i'm open to seeing and understanding and hearing that but for me bran and i think you'll agree with this is we'll never know any different yeah we won't You know, I raised my kids the way I did. They turned out the way they did, period. And if I changed the thought that I was going to raise them differently, it doesn't really matter because I can't. Right. So perspective's really nothing. Yeah. And when you also break all this down, we can't know anything. This is just a discussion and two human beings having a discussion with two different thoughts and neither one of us are right. It's just our story we put on the whole event yeah it's good (laughs) stuff uh uh when you move to the other side town whatever that day may be and and say you go up there and 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 you let's say god exists okay 
you get to the pearly gates, what do you want God to say to you? That I was a good, caring, loving person. Lovely. That's it. Good. I like it. Um, what about your mind? Where does your mind exist? Where does my mind exist? Mm -hmm. Depends on the moment. Yeah. Like right now, yeah. it's on work. And my workaholic's <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Tony's been uh, retired for 10 years? 12 years? 12. And <laughs> he comes back and forth from Nicaragua to Salt Lake City, Utah, and he boy is a contractor so he comes back and does a few tile jobs here and there picks up side jobs to make a little extra money and he likes to get back in the rat race so he can realize how um rat racy it <laughs> is <laughs> how uncomfortable it can make you uh w when you've learned how to be comfortable uh and can sit with your thoughts and relax and surf and and uh, not have to drive 80 miles an hour down the freeway and hurry and get the next job. Get yelled at, screamed at, got your homeowner yelling at you, subs are showing up late. Uh, just this crazy world that exists here in Salt Lake City, depending on what your occupation is and what you do. But He's getting a really good reminder of how neat his life is in Nicaragua. Tell us a little bit, Tone, about, um, well, I'm going to go back to that question I asked you, but tell us a little bit about work. What have you, you been doing the last week or two? And uh, I'm noticing a little frustration uh, with your job and your tile setting. You told me today you've you got about another week left in you, and then you're done. So fill us in on yeah, what it feels I'll like I'll to be back in the working world. I'll fill you in. So um, my son uh, has got a lot of projects going, and with the construction here in Salt Lake being so busy, he's struggling to find subs for particular parts of the job. So in November, he called me and asked me if uh, I'd be willing to come and maybe help him with a couple of his projects, and I think I said no. <laughs> I don't remember, but. February comes and he sends me a, or calls me and says, hey, that job will be ready in March. I go, what job? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, that one I told you about. I go, you never told me about it. He goes, oh, well, I'll send you the information. So anyway, he sends me the information. I look it over and I go, yeah, I probably could do it. I was planning on coming to the end of March, but I just moved my date up to the first of March. So... I've been setting the tile on a 7,000-square-foot home all by myself since March 16th. And I have till April 30 to get it completed. I should get it done. But I'm realizing that... that... Uh, Retirement's much better than working. <laughs> <laughs> much better. Yeah. Although I've enjoyed every moment of it. I made I made the choice when I told him I'd do it, that I would come and I would do it with uh, uh, 
best job I could do and be happy every day doing. And that has been. But what it's sure. brought is my old tendencies of, you know, work a, I work as hard as I can. And uh, uh, let me back up a little bit. This is what I've figured out. And I told Tony this the other day. I'm really good at doing nothing now. Took me a couple of years of retirement to learn to do nothing and feel good about it. And I'm really good at 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at 50. Yeah. That's what I've realized. In between. I'm not a good in-between guy. Yeah. It's hard being, uh, having a lot of free time, too. You say, when you retire, think it's going to be all hunky-dory, and boy, life's going to be amazing. But boy, you've got a lot of time to sit with your thoughts. Yeah, if you're not happy, it can be miserable. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. To stay focused and <laughs> present and... It's a lot of work to stay focused and yeah. present all the time. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Tell us, I just had a thought tone. I remember when you came back a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, we noticed driving on the freeway how hectic the freeway's getting around here. And you were here having a good day driving down the road, and you might have accidentally cut somebody off or something happened. And you decided to take down their license plate number because as they drove by... Uh, you, I believe they flipped you the bird and, and it helped you realize how chaotic that human being's mind was in that moment. Oh yeah. So I've walk us through that a little bit and then let the listeners know what yeah. you did after I you w- got the license plate. I number. was, uh, driving from my son's home to my mother's house on two fifteen, and I was going the speed limit at four thirty in the afternoon, which was too slow. And the guy behind me was frustrated. So as he passed me in a hurry to get off at the exit, he rolls down his window and aggressively gives me the finger. And so he happened to have a license plate with a name on it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was easy to remember. Mm -hmm. And... uh, through some associates of mine, I was able to find out what name and address of the vehicle was registered to. And so I wrote him a very kind letter explaining to him how I was sorry that going the speed limit was so frustrating for him. But where was it, basically, where was he in a hurry to get to? And it just wasn't worth it. And I thanked him for reminding me for me to stay calm in those circumstances. And how blessed you are to not be in the rat race, right? Yeah. In the world. Yeah. Racing to your next project, racing to your next job, to your next appointment. You know? Yeah, hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry high anxiety, high stress just to get to the next job. Yeah. that takes you away from you at the end of the day. Not that we all don't need to work and, you know, We just need to love our, love our work. Yeah, the key is loving your job. We'll get yeah. to that too. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back around to where's your mind. And when I say where's your mind, where does your mind exist? Where does my mind exist? Yeah. Between my heart and my head. Yeah. You think? Yeah. So, can you touch it? 
Not physically. Could you point to your mind? It depends. <laughs> depends on what it's mo- where, yeah. where it's at. Can you show me your mind? No, I can't show you. I cannot show you. So where's your mind? Somewhere between your head and your heart. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Think about yeah. it. Yeah. If you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't hold it, you can't show it to me, where does your mind actually exist? Is it in your brain? They say that it is. And if you probably go scientifically, they have studies to prove that your thoughts exist in your brain. Oh. You know? So you're... M- do you believe your minds? Do you believe your minds in your physical body or head? Well, are you talking about your mind or your brain? Your mind. Your mind's the energy that runs around the universe. So where is it? It's wherever you want it to be. It's right here talking to <laughs> you right now. <laughs> What I'm trying to get to is like, does your mind still exist when the body goes? That's yet to be determined. But what what's your thoughts on it? Well, my thought is, is when we pass to the other side, we're just part of the energy that's already out there now that we just can't have the ability to see. So if you're out there, what's out there? Is it your mind or something else? Just molecules. So no mind. Yeah, energy. When you go, <laughs> does your mind go? We'll find me- out. Me- meaning move know. on to the I other side? Who knows? I don't know. I'd like <laughs> to know that question. <laughs> I don't know either. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't know. I There's lots of theories. I thought you'd have an answer for me. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> You let me know when you find the person that has <laughs> that answer that's concrete. Uh, I think you do. Yeah. You just don't want to share it. Yeah. How do you exercise your mind daily and deal with your daily stressors and stuff like that? What's What do you do in a... Every day, I do some sort of positive influence for myself, meaning... Um, I search everything I can that has a positive thought or a message. I read books that talk about positive, happy thoughts. And I found that for me, if I don't do it daily, it's super, super easy to fall into what I call the negative and I think it's just as hard to stay positive as it is to stay negative if you're not doing it for the right reasons Hmm. and what would you recommend one thing that the listeners could do tone what works for you best to help exercise your mind what's your go-to daily because i know you do a lot of reading you do a lot of uh listening to podcasts and youtubes um 
What's your go-to? My go-to thing is is I have a book that I read little quotes out of from a, and I forget the name of it now. Marcus Aurelius, I think. But it, I have that with me all the time. There's little notes in there that have really good positive outlooks on things. But my theory in life is, is if you're not happy where your feet are planted, move them. Mm. So whatever that is, at the time, if I'm not happy with what I'm doing at the moment, if I have the opportunity, I change. Cool. I like that thought. Um, as far as Earth School goes, and you've learned a lot over the last 57 <laughs> years, um, how would you grade yourself today? As in what? A, B, C, D, E, or F. What grade? A, B, C, D, or F. How would you grade yourself with a letter? How are you doing today in Earth School as far as what you've learned and where you're at today? What you've accomplished? Um, at an A minus. A minus? Yeah. Little room for growth? Always room. Yeah. Cool. What's your favorite movie and why? <laughs> what just popped in my head is... Uh, right on the tip of my tongue Graham movie with Will Ferrell where he's a race car driver oh Talladega Nights Talladega Nights <laughs> <laughs> and why only because I just love Will Ferrell because <laughs> uh, you like to laugh right yeah he's just a hoot and, uh, yeah Hilarious. there's a lot of favorite movies I don't really have one particular one that really comes to mind yeah if today was your last day on this planet, uh, what would you do? If this was the very last day? Yep. Probably exactly what I'm doing now. Cool. I don't know that I would do anything particular. and Just it would be the last day. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, if... if If I was to say, makes me cry, it wouldn't be possible to do. Mm. And that would get all my friends and family all in one room together. Mm. So I'm not very good at wanting things that I can't have. <laughs> yeah. Have a big party. Yeah, but just... I think if it was our last day, we'd know it was our last day that day. <laughs> yeah, probably right. We wouldn't have time to... I always have the thought, to too. I, I think about this all the time. So it's interesting that when it is your last day and you move on, and, and as we all do, as we celebrate a human's life passing on, then we all show up and have a big party. Yeah. And I've always thought, why don't we do that before? Yeah, why don't we? Yeah. I almost have had the thought even two <coughs> weeks ago. I thought, I want to start a business where you have life celebrations before you die. So you can sit and be with your friends, converse with your friends. You know, y you can maybe get real and get authentic and share with your friends or loved ones what 
you really think about them and they really think about you. Maybe that's what you're doing when you <laughs> go to their funeral. <laughs> huh? Maybe they're there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I believe that, that they are there, but, but I'm, what I'm saying is physically how neat it would be to have a life celebration before you pass on. But th- the problem with that is that means you know when the guy's going to go. Well, no, without knowing they're going to go. Just have a life yeah, but celebration. when would you have it? Like grandma, for instance. Yeah. So go have we one. We could have one every year. Well, you just go have one. You only need one. Yeah, but then she like lives you could another have 20 one, years. But, <laughs> you, but at least she got to hear everybody speak yeah. that's here today. Like you could have one next week. You yeah. might live another 40 years. Yeah, and then it'll, it'll be different because it probably upset people if you <laughs> know <laughs> Some might not show up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just a thought. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Um, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you? And then maybe follow that up with what's the worst thing that's ever happened? The best thing that ever happened to me was my poor children. Lovely. And the worst thing that's ever happened to me was my poor children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. They're good teachers, bro. Yeah. yeah. Those kids are smart. Super you got bright kids. Yeah, you know, so we all do, and I think we have them to challenge us, to let us know where we're off. Yeah, I would say that. You know, so. We teach them so they can teach us. Exactly. We're all students. Yeah. You know, and if we're aware and we're being mindful, our kids are just <laughs> teaching us when we believe that they're out of hand or out of line. Yeah. So they're really little angels doing the best to get us squared up, you know. Yeah, exactly. So um, what would your dream job be? Today? Yeah, your dream job. My dream job today would be professional poker player. Really? Yeah. And it will be. Yeah. Yeah, Tony loves to play seven card. Texas Hold'em. Or Texas Hold'em. And it's been taking lessons, playing a lot, yeah. learning a lot. It's also a mindful game. Teaches a lot of patience. Teaches you how to read other human beings. Keeps your brain moving. Keeps your brain moving. Keeps your mind focused on the cards instead yeah. of your crazy world <laughs> at times, right? Yeah, and, and too, the, the main reason I'm doing it is it's a challenge. Yeah. And I'm um, uh, I am trying to prove a theory to myself that study, work, perseverance pays off. Yeah. In everything. Yep. Right? Yep. Put your mind to it. And that's just happened to be what I chose to try this theory on for myself is because I love it. Yeah. So it's fun. Sure. And we'll see where it takes me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love you chasing chasing that passion or dream tone. It's yeah. it's neat to watch human beings find their passion, whatever it may be. Yeah. And yeah. if it goes nowhere, it you. I'll love every minute of yeah. it anyway. And you're learning, <coughs> right? Yep. It's all a learning process. You know, what's your uh, definition of success? My definition of success 
is my four children. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, as of today, they're all successful and all doing the best they can. And mm. so I succeeded. Nice. Because I always wanted my kids to be what we say one step above me. Mm -hmm. And there's several. Yeah. Cool. So I succeeded. Nice. And I'd say you're pretty successful, Tone, with how far you've come in the last four or five years. That's what I, my definition of success is, is uh, finding yourself. Yeah. It's funny, though. We don't want to put that on ourselves. Yeah. You know. I mean, uh, I'm happy, Brian. I'm yeah. glad I've done what I've done. Um, the things that I did that upset people, I wish I could change, but I can't. And I just hope that I never go down that road again. Yeah. And really, Tone, too, when you break that all down, um, as we continue to learn and grow on this planet, no matter what you did or didn't do, whatever their experience they had was theirs. You know, only they can upset themselves. Yeah. You know, you've done some things. I've done plenty of things that weren't right, that I'm not proud of. But at the end of the day, you know, did you upset them or did they ups upset themselves over your behavior? Well, that's the fine line. Yeah. So did you really do anything wrong at the end of the day? Well, I'll choose to say that I did just because my behavior affected others whether they chose to affect them or not. If I wouldn't have acted the way I would have, mm -hmm. then they wouldn't have had to make a choice. Sure. So. Yeah. But it's okay. Sure. You know, it's the only way I was going to learn. It's the only way they're going to learn, too. Yeah. So. From watching you, right? Yeah. You taught them a lot with some of your behaviors. Yeah. Who to be and maybe who they yeah. didn't want to be. Yeah. Just like you and I did with mom yeah. and dad. Yeah. So, was there anything wrong there? Not today. Depends on your <laughs> depends on your perspective, right? Yeah, exactly. Um fear, what's your biggest fear on this planet? I have no fear. No fear? None. N nothing you're afraid of or afraid to do. No, nothing zero. scares you. No. Really? Now that when I say I have no fear doesn't mean I'm going to go do something that's foolish. Mm, yeah, sure. But well, stupid. There's yeah, stupidity. <coughs> but there's nothing that I foresee that would, that fear would keep me from doing. I'm not afraid to do anything. Yeah. Hmm. Not at all. Good. And I've learned that through trial and error. You know, moving to Nicaragua was fearful. Not speaking the language. Going to a foreign country that didn't have the best uh, history behind it. And uh, it's taught me more than I would have ever learned by not going. Sure. 
hundred times over. That was a huge leap yeah. that you took. So, for sure. And it, it was part of the process of overcoming fear, too. Yeah. Figured I can do that. Right. I can do whatever. Cool. So, cool. So, really, in fear to me, too, is you're anticipating something negative, which I don't really believe in thinking that way so there's really nothing to be scared of because I don't think like yeah. that right. you know that's how I look at it oh. I could say oh I'm the biggest fear in my life is something happens to my kids mm-hmm. well I don't think that nothing's going to happen to them so there's no reason to fear it yeah. so I just don't think in that mindset I guess yeah Sometimes don't thoughts show up for you that are fearful? Not that I can think of. No? Not really. Nothing you really worry about? No. No? Anything you're real curious about right now? Yeah. Why are we on this earth? (laughs) (laughs) And I... I don't know if I'll ever figure it out, but <laughs> I sure am trying. <laughs> you and me both. I really would like to know. There's got to be a reason. Yeah. One of my thoughts is it's Earth School. Yeah. <laughs> For what? Mars? I don't know. <laughs> Just here to learn about ourselves. Yeah. I don't know. You know, what's the point? Where are we going? What's it all for? Show up here, you move on. Yeah, I don't know. You know, what does it all amount to? What does it equal? Why do we work so hard? Why do we cause all this pressure and stress and anxiety on ourselves to get where? There's nowhere to go, right? Exactly. So Make why more do we money. do it? Why do we do it? Make more money. For buy what? more things. Yeah. Have more kids. So that they can spend more money. So they can spend have more, more things. Money. That's yeah. what keeps the economy going. And more worry. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Not yeah. sure, but all we can That's do is do, question. do the best we can to understand like ourselves. And well, I can tell you this. Every person that I've come across in the last five years that would be considered close to going to the other side, I've told them, come and tell me what it's like. Yeah. But none of them died yet, so... None of them have showed up. They haven't been able to show up yet. (laughs) Do you think uh, (laughs) with that thought, I know you had a buddy pass away in Nicaragua a year or two ago. Last year ago. A year ago. Um, Do you wonder if if they can share with you from the other side? Yeah, I don't know. If they can, it's not happening. Hmm. I read a few months back that the only thing that keeps us from the other side, like they call it the veil, maybe communicating or seeing, chatting with, maybe not seeing, but communicating with humans that are on the other side is our thoughts. 
So if that was the case, then we could just think that we were communicating with them, and we were. Well, think that it's possible, and maybe search, experiment, and see what shows up. But I think some of us believe it's not possible. But what if you believe it's possible? You throw it out there as you read several books that are out there that people do say they communicate with the other side. Is it our thoughts that are um, holding us back or our belief system from not being able to communicate? It's keeping us from crossing back and forth over from the veil. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to know. Yeah. So I think maybe if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. So I wonder if you really wanted to know. It's work. Yeah, it's it's one area that I probably haven't put enough effort into yet. But uh, here again, just another thought. Yeah. Get you thinking, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about it. Yeah. Um, anything I maybe could have asked you or should have asked you today that you've thought of that you want to talk about or share about since I don't have all, all the right questions? You know, Bran, I don't I don't know that we missed anything. There's always something to talk about. But you're good? Yeah, I can't think of anything. Um, one more thought I had because you talked about this last week when we were chatting one of my favorite words and the more I hear it the harder I work at practicing this but you mentioned the word gratitude can you uh, explain to the listeners what gratitude means to you gratitude to me is being grateful for everything that's in my life everything from the food I put in my mouth to the roof over my head to the sunshine to the rain to all my family and friends and being grateful that they're all there and available at my leisure and it's kind of in a way trying not to take advantage of all that and gratitude for almost everything right everything car you drive house over your head clothes i wear trees trees sun everything snow rain shoes socks clothing family friends like we're so blessed on this planet it's almost incredible it's crazy how much we're taken care of 100% fully until you believe a thought that you're not. Yeah. And that's where the pain, anxiety, and stress sets in. And only thoughts, a single thought is the only thing that can cause pain on this planet when you believe a thought. And a hammer on your big toe. Yes. <laughs> and does that actually, that's physical pain. Yeah. Which we could, that could be a whole nother discussion <laughs> I could go through with you. Uh, I could even, uh, a thought that that shows up, Chase and I talked about this in the podcast the other day, but 
So you lost your life and somebody shot you with a gun. And you took a bullet through your heart or whatever it may be. Would you even feel it? Um, no. But as soon as you saw, if you didn't die and you saw it, <laughs> then you feel it. Yeah. And I'll tell you a quick story going back to the fire station. Mm-hmm. We went on a car accident. Young girl was driving. And when we got there, she was screaming uncontrollably. And not because she was hurt. It's because she's caused the accident. So if you can imagine, she opened her door and she was sitting sideways in the seat so her feet are on the ground. Her left foot was twisted under the car. So Mm -hmm. instead of pointing out, it was pointed towards under the car. And she had no idea until we said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. And we said, what about your foot? And she looked down. Yeah. So, and there were several incidents like that, that people didn't feel their injury until they saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. That's what I say. You could have a whole nother conversation on that. But as Tony knows, and I mention often <coughs> on this podcast is, uh, I love the work of Byron Katie. And she mentions all the time that pain is either anticipated or remembered. I believe that. So until you've known and recognized and have a past or future experience, it's hard to feel pain. So like you say, this gal's legs broke and twisted underneath the car. She doesn't have a clue that she's in pain. She just knows she caused an accident. But as soon as you show her pain, she anticipates that it hurts and she remembers what it feels like from what she's seen maybe in the movies maybe she's experienced a cut or a broken leg or finger before and she's remembering what that feels like so she believes pain is anticipated or projected but if you're actually just present with the pain it's hard to feel it because you're always past future with it you're in the past or the future with your pain yeah interesting thought so next time you get hurt which now i do this I cut my finger with a chainsaw six months ago or last summer and the chainsaw wasn't running. I shut it off and then I went to grab it and lower the chainsaw to get off the ladder and the brand new chainsaw sliced my finger wide open. I looked down at my finger. I could see the bone and literally thought, okay, does it hurt? Does it hurt? Does it hurt? And I watched my finger for about five seconds and I could see the bone. I could see the tissue inside my finger and there was no pain and then the blood started coming and it hurt like hell (laughs) but literally i sliced my finger and couldn't feel any pain for five seconds until then i saw the blood gush and then the pain set in because i went oh no stitches gotta go to the hospital go get a bandage go grab a towel cover it up whatever it may be so try it next time you get hurt And then also I love nowadays when I do get hurt or injured, I love to feel the pain. Just sit in it and see what it feels like. And there's almost a sweetness to the pain. If you're just sitting and noticing, just notice the pain. 
interesting thought there for <laughs> all of you crazy <laughs> listeners out there. So, anyways, a final thought, Tone. Any one item or whatever it may be, and maybe it's for you, it's, it's, it's gratitude, but what's one thing, the best advice you could share with the listeners that might change the way they deal with their mind and become more aware or maybe how they deal with addiction since you experienced that in your lifetime? Um, the biggest thing that I've found through my journey is loving yourself for who you are and not for what other people think and realizing that through addiction you're doing two things. One, you're numbing yourself from finding yourself and two, you're abusing yourself in a way that you'll never understand until you get to the other side of it. Good thought. And with that, I might add, um, in that abuse or that addiction, it's actually um, creating violence. To yourself. To yourself, right? So in that addiction, in that self-beat-up, even what we do with our minds, you know, Byron Katie says, one negative thought creates violence to your mind and your soul and your body. One negative thought is violent because where you take that thought when you believe it, uh, it's no fun. No. So a negative thought is violence. <laughs> so um, today, um, uh, my thought is one exercise I can share with you guys is practice gratitude. You know, get up in the morning and maybe think of 10 items you're thankful for and, you know, throw it out there to the world. You know, thank you for this house, bed, grass, food, friends, family, life, life, you know, this experience. Maybe even thank one of your negative experiences for teaching you more about yourself. So that's your homework today is practice gratitude. Try to do it all day long. Be thankful for whatever shows up and look for the good instead of the bad. You'll be amazed what shows up for you. Um, one more question, Tone. If the listeners wanted to contact you, uh, do you maybe have an email or something you'd like to share with humans that are struggling with addiction and they could contact you? Uh, <coughs> I'm available on email 24-7, seven days a week. <laughs> and what's your email address? It's B-I-C-K-N-I-C-A at gmail.com. Nika at gmail.com. Awesome. And the final thought, guys, is, as I always mention before, remember it's only one person can save yourself, and that's you. You create your own reality. Once you understand this, your life will shift. And please share this with at least two of your friends. Uh, like where it's necessary. And um, subscribe, you know, without your guys' support. You listeners, um, you're the ones that can uh, assist us in changing the world one human being at a time. So I want to thank you all. Uh, thank Tony for having the courage and uh, the audacity to sit with me and answer some of these diff difficult questions. Um, all you listeners out there, you're amazing. 
your pure love at your core unless you're believing a negative story. And there's a way out of every single negative situation on this planet. I can attest to that myself. So you can change your world and those around you. And I thank you all for listening. And one of my favorite saying is we're all twins here existing on this planet. We all got stories. We all got issues we deal with. And eventually, the more we share this information with the world, the better place this world can become. Less war on this planet is what I strive for and less war in my mind. I know when there's no war in my mind, there's there's no, no war at home. And if we can't get along with our family members, how are we supposed to get along with other countries? So my goal is for myself and the world to, to be at less war. If you have questions or would like to contact me or have a life-changing discussion, you can contact me on Instagram at yourturbolover. And you can email me at themindsgym at gmail.com. Message me on Facebook at Brandon Bickmore. If you have any guests you'd like me to interview, please send me a referral and peace out. I love you all and love you, bro, and thanks for sharing your world with me. And we will be back to you all soon. Thanks, listeners, and go look for some gratitude today. Peace out.